Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Metadata. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 119 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we discussed technology resolutions for 2014. I'm happy to report, Tom, that I've actually made some progress on mine. This time, we wanted to revisit a topic that Tom raised in his parting shot on our last episode about giving up control of our technology to our technology. Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? Well, I'm doing pretty well on my uh, resolutions as well, uh, so I'm, I'm pleased about that. I guess it's better to get started now than to uh, procrastinate on that. In this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we'll be talking about the growing trend of giving up control of technology and tasks that we used to do ourselves. In our second segment, we'll talk about Legal Tech New York and our belief that uh, listeners of this podcast should try to attend at least one of the big legal tech conferences every couple of years. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second this podcast is over. But first, let's get started on our main topic, and that's the question of whether we're giving up control of our technology. In the last episode, I mentioned as my parting shot an article at the 9 to 5 Mac website. It was called, Five Years From Now, Will We Have Given Up All Control of Our Technology? And the more I started thinking about it, and I pitched it to Dennis, uh, we started thinking about the ideas in that article and agreed that it might make sense to make it a full topic on the podcast. So Dennis, do you want to start by sketching out what we mean by giving up control of our technology? Well, I think, Tom, that if you look back to what we've done in the past, there are a lot of things we used to do by hand. And and so I, I think the idea is here, what are those things that it used to take some skill to do as a technology person to configure, to get things to work, all those sorts of things that now we realize they're just happening automatically. So that's one sense of what we mean by giving up control. So that's sort of the need to actually understand what's going on has been greatly lessened. And then a lot of things just happen automatically that I think we've already you know, started to stop thinking about. And I, I think we'll give some examples. Tom, I was just uh, doing some car shopping and I saw some examples examples of this. And and then with my car, I noticed some things in the recent bad weather. So you see things like sensors will will let you know if you're too close to somebody or, you know, you're going to have a front end collision. There's something that will tell you that's, you know, what's going on in the lane beside you. All sorts of adjustments that get made. The other morning I was driving to work and it was sort of snowy and icy and you realize that there's traction control, there's anti-lock brake systems that sort of just kick in before you even realize that, you know, you're slipping or sliding. And so it's kind of interesting. So the skills you used to have for winter driving are starting to be taken over by the systems in your car that probably do a better job than you do, although at the same time, we're losing some of those skills. And obviously, we're not to drive with this car yet, but you sort of see how that evolution could happen. So I think that's one sense I have, or, or sort of my feel for what we're talking about, giving up control, is that sort of removing the need for you to have the actual skill and understanding of setting up and carrying out some of the technology processes. Did that get it about right, Tom? I think you got it right. You know, it's funny that when you talk about using your car, that that's an area that 
I would say, had not completely occurred to me. But uh, now that I think about it, the car that I drive now, it has a feature where it's got a little light that pops up in my side mirror on either side. The little light shows that someone's in my blind spot and it will tell me it's not safe to change lanes. And I will say that that automatic sensor has altered my behavior so that I no longer am making the the long look around, you know, the wide look over your shoulder to see if there's a car in your blind spot. I don't do that anymore like I used to, which is a problem when I get into cars that don't have the blind spot feature. But I think that to a certain extent, that sensor has automated a process that I used to use. And I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. I, I think it's definitely a good thing when I'm in my car, but it's teaching me a behavior that doesn't always apply every car that I'm in. Now, I think that there are many things that we're doing these days that are automatic and we sort of take a lot of them for granted. You know, you and I were talking just before this podcast about backups, that backup systems, if they work right, should be automatic. You should be backing up and it should be doing it automatically. You shouldn't have to remember to back up your system. Cloud services, Dropbox, Box, those types of systems, they're automatically syncing your documents so that you can work on them on one device and automatically pick them up on another and it's exactly where you left it and where you need to deal with it. iOS is certainly doing this with all their devices with iCloud and making it even more seamless so that you can't even really tell where the documents are in a file folder or a file system. Google Now is to me a big example of an area where they're taking lots of information from us and automating a lot of things. So uh, they're taking all the information from stuff I do on Google and wanting to help me with it. They offer directions to a store that I searched for yesterday. They, they tell me when the package I ordered will arrive. They notify me of the flight status of the plane I'm taking on tomorrow. We're already getting it to a certain extent. Now, there's areas where it doesn't work well so far, and I guess I would call these first world problems. My note-taking app on my iPad, I want it to be able to work on whether I'm using my big iPad or my little iPad, and it doesn't sync with each other. And that bothers me because I'm used to things starting to sync together. But one of the quotes in the article that I thought was interesting was that the average consumer not only doesn't care to take control of their tech, most of the time they don't even know that the choices exist. So I guess I'll toss the question back to you, Dennis. When we're talking about lawyers and we're talking about technology, you know, for you and I, we're used to seeing things and seeing that sort of automated stuff. But how do you think it's going to apply to, to lawyers in general? Well, I think that a lot of things have happened, and I think that lawyers in general are going to just think that things have gotten a lot easier, and you start to take some things for granted. Right. Let me give you some examples. At the end of the year, I got a new wireless laser printer, an Apple time capsule, and uh, another hard drive. There might have been something else I was doing. But essentially, these things are all what we used to call plug and play. And to the extent of configuring the wireless network, attaching to it, it's so easy. And I don't have to think about stuff. I don't have to set you know, things like I used to. I remember the first time I connected a, a Mac to the wireless network in my house, I was deep in the system making selections and stuff. Now this stuff kind of just happens. And so I think lawyers are going to notice that. They're going to appreciate that. I think the other thing that we all now take for granted, you know, when there's public Wi-Fi, you just expect to see it, connect to it, boom, be on it. And, you know, it used to be that you 
kind of needed to understand what you were doing and and set some things up. And so a lot of that, I, I think, is for the positive in that if there's a way to customize some of those things, and maybe it still exists, we just typically don't have the need for it. But the fact is that without much effort, things just work. And you, it's sort of like, hey, can, I want to connect to a network. I hit connect, boom, I'm, I'm there. And so I think that aspect of things in terms of configuration, the stuff where you really had to be kind of techie to understand what was going on, just seems like it's starting to disappear. But you know, I agree with you. And I think in general, I don't know how you feel. I'm I'm assuming you feel the same way that I do. But I think in general, it's a good thing. I think that the idea that some of the tasks that we do every day that we sort of take for granted that that are tedious and repetitive, that someone else that is namely technology is going to uh, take care of that for us, I think is in general a good thing. But I'll use an example um, for technology that I was surprised to hear from a couple of our friends to learn that a number of them have not updated yet to iOS 7. They are big users of iPads and iPhones, but have not updated to iOS 7. And, uh, you know, you and I, I think, are using iOS 7 where we have it uh, because uh, for me personally, I like to try out new features, take advantage of improved functionality. But what's interesting is, is that I find that not all lawyers are open to that kind of change. And so one of the interesting features of iOS 7 is that now it kind of catches up to Android. Android's been doing this for a long time where instead of asking you, would you like to update your apps, that there are new versions available for, it will automatically update you to those apps and you don't have to do anything. You don't push a button, you don't go in, you just have a new version of an app. I can see some downsides if an app changes to where uh, it radically changes the way that you deal with that app and, and you don't figure that out until you open it for the first time. But I can see that many of these lawyers who don't like change really having a problem with this new feature. Now, certainly you can turn it off. I think that there are settings to turn it off, but I imagine that a lot of lawyers, the first time that they have that happened to them on their iPhone or iPad are going to really have problems with that automatic updating of apps that they've got. You make an interesting point, Tom, because I think that resistance to change sometimes gets described by people or attributed to not wanting to give up control. And so I, I think that, yeah, I'm really surprised when I, when I hear that. Because, I mean, I l- like to use new software and the idea of, you know, having things automatically update, I, I think is great. I mean, that's me. But I'm surprised on some of the major systems that people don't update in that way. So I think there is, you know, because sometimes people say, what if it updates and, you know, all this terrible stuff happens? Well, in the cloud world, changes get made and updates get made all the time and we live with it and for me that balance between saying oh there's some chance something might not work because of an automatic update is small compared to to me the the real danger these days of running old versions of software from a, a security standpoint so for me on that continuum, I would be happy with the auto-updating as opposed to what I do now, which is I update through iTunes and I sort of do it by hand. And I'm looking, I was just thinking the other day, I got I want to get into some of the scripting things on my Mac and, and stuff like that where I say, here's some things I do every day on a regular basis. Can I um, start to automate that? And I think, Tom, that's another sense of giving over control is to say, Hey, what are some of the things we might be able to do? It used to be we'd talk in terms of macros. Now we talk in terms of scripts, I guess, that where you are rules, where you'd say, what are some of the things that I'm doing? Uh, maybe some repetitive tasks 
And can I automate some of those things just so I I don't spend time doing those everyday things? So that's one thing. And then also I think on the the element of change, I'd also say that in the Lovejoy article, he makes the point of in the new Mac operating system, there's this movement away from directories to tags. And that's another new approach where we're sort of moving from a way we used to take control of things and putting things in folders and setting things up the way we want, doing something that's more tagged and letting the system search and collect things for us. So I know I have a couple of ideas in in what I was saying, Tom, but thoughts on those things? I think that this whole notion of folders versus tags or tags versus files is going to be an interesting one. We've been seeing kind of an assault on that for a while now. I mean, those of you out there who use Gmail have had that all along because Google doesn't believe you should need folders. You should just have one big inbox full of email. And as long as you have a good search engine to search it, you really don't need to organize it into uh, folders or things like that. And that's that's why they introduce labels as sort of a, uh, a compromise to help appease the people who are very upset about it. Uh, but I think that the whole notion of tagging, the people that I know who've started to use it, once they've started, they found that it is an easy, very convenient way of searching for and looking for things. So I'm very interested to see what happens, you know, over time. You know, we, we, we talk about Apple, the file system is disappearing in the Apple world. Let's talk, talk about Google with their Chromebooks. Their Chromebooks now, everything, you, you have to connect to the internet because everything that's on that computer really exists or connects or doesn't work for you unless you are connected to the internet. There's stuff on the Chromebook, but there's not a lot of data on the Chromebook because you're keeping everything in the cloud. And I think that those are some major changes that we're starting to see right now that I'm really looking forward to see how people and lawyers in particular react to them. I will say that there's one other thing that I think is interesting about these tools and these attempts to automate things, and that is when it doesn't get it right, that some of these tools don't do things the way we want. I think everything you and I have talked about so far, we're pretty satisfied with. We like the way a lot of these tools work and and are happy with that. But let me give you um, an example, uh, and this is something that that I heard uh, Leo Laporte talking about in the past week. Now that the Nest thermostat has been bought by Google, it's been in the news a lot that people have been talking about it a lot. People have been thinking that's great, and Google is now trying to worm its way into our homes to find out what we're doing. But Leo Laporte's comment is he stopped using it because it doesn't work. It doesn't know when he's in the house. It doesn't adjust the thermostat exactly the way he expects it to. He was promised that it would learn his habits and and he's not always a, a creature of habit. And I find that I'm the same way. I find that that I don't need a smart thermostat to figure that out because I'm not convinced that it's really going to be able to, to do what it, what it claims, at least not yet. I think that we may get there in the future, but I think a lot of these automation tools still have some polish, some work to do. You know, Tom, there's a great comment to the Lovejoy post where somebody says, wasn't doing tedious, repetitive tasks why we invented computers in the first place? Exactly. And I go back to that a lot because I, you know, I sometimes get frustrated as lawyers when we're doing things that really are, are better suited to being done by machines. And we've talked about that on the, the podcast before. But so I, I was thinking in terms of giving over control to a couple, of, maybe like three areas that are kind of interesting to me, at least for people to think about. And so one is the that whole notion of technology-assisted review or predictive coding, where 
you know, rather than throwing humans at looking at a bunch of documents, we can really accomplish some things by letting technology do that and maybe automating things and then bringing back humans for higher level things. There's that whole area of big data that people are just starting to talk about where the notion is, can we just find patterns and correlations that tell us things and automate some of those things because it gives us as good or perhaps better results than than when we kind of deal with it uh, by hand. And the third thing that you alluded to, and and I think about time in in terms of giving over control, is that whole internet things notion and the, the automated house, which... For me, it's kind of like I'm not that complicated at my house where I say, oh, you know, I want <laughs> these things to happen. I want the thermostats to be going up and down. I want, you know, all I want the lights to come on as I, you know, as I get half a mile from home, all those sorts of things. I'm sort of okay with, you know, coming home and walking in the door and turning on the lights. Exactly. And I sort of think there's this notion that in some areas we're comfortable what we'll call giving up control and automating things. Others were not comfortable and others we just don't care enough to want to do that. So if it happens for us, as it sometimes happens on smartphones and things like that, iCloud, some, you know, backup, some of those things. We'll be okay with that because we're sort of indifferent to it. Other places, we're going to rebel against it, and other places, we're going to move toward it. So, I don't know, Tom, I guess we need to talk a little bit about some of the implications of this, maybe the pros and cons that you see. Well, I, I think that the obvious pros of this automation is to, you know, the, I think, and what some of these folks who are trying to automate this for us is, is so that we have what we need when we need it, wherever we happen to be. So it's the, the data that we need, wherever we happen to be, in the right place, at the right time, always and forever. I asked the question of that, is that a pro or is that a con? Because I think that by giving up that control of the automation by making that, letting systems make that information available to us wherever we are, we have to give up control of a lot of the information about ourselves. And I think that's a necessary trade-off. You know, I talk about Google Now as the example. Google kind of pries into what I'm searching for on the internet. It's for the map stuff that I do. It looks at my emails and tells me about things. And on the one hand, that's very scary. That's a very frightening that it knows so much. Do I care? And I think I've decided that the usefulness of the information outweighs the fact that Google might have that. Now, they may change over time, and by then, it may be too late. But um, at this point in time, I view that as a pro and not so much as a con. But I can imagine that that would be something that a lot of people would have concerns about. What about you, Dennis? Well, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, I think there's some positives. I mean, I think it's great. It used to be so hard to set up a printer. Now it's, you know, the fact that it's Very easy. Simple. Yep. The wireless stuff. So there's a lot of areas it's great. And I say some areas I notice things and I don't even think about them. And, you know, whether I'm indifferent or I just don't notice them, I'm okay with those things. And other areas I'm not sure about. I mean, I'll give my example. So recently I bought a GPS device on Amazon. And this morning, I got an email from Amazon suggesting GPS devices that I might want to buy. And I'm like, you know, I realize that you don't know whether I bought that as a gift or for myself or whatever. But, geez, part of the trade-off I want is that you actually do learn about me and come up with something helpful. And, And generally, with things like that, you're going... Hey, I bought what I wanted. Like, you don't need to suggest them to me anymore because I I got it, you know. And so I, I think that that's one of the cons for me is that people sort of think they figured out what you want and how you want to automate, 
and maybe it works for a lot of people, but not everything. So I sort of think the promise and the reality haven't lined up yet, although we're early on. But I, I think it's really interesting that the sort of tension you have between saying, you know, I used to be able to do a lot of things like configure printers and, you know, format hard drives and stuff like that. And it's great that I don't have to do it anymore, but what is it that I've lost? And if something goes haywire, can I still do that in the way I want? And also if I want to customize in a different way, is that going to to go away? So I don't know, Tom, I think there's probably a certain inevitability to some of this. And it's just something that you need to keep an eye on and watch and, and see where it is that you're comfortable with change and giving up control. But I have the sense that the positives outweigh the negatives. But as you get fewer and fewer people who kind of understand how to do the basics and how to do things by hand, that's potentially a little problematic. No, I agree with you. I think that the one thing that we need to be very careful about is that as long as we are willing to give up some level of control, there also have to be some safeguards built into the system where we can either take back control if we want to, where we can make changes and customize however we want to. You know, that's one thing about Google is that although they've got all your data, they also have a page on how to get all your data back. So they will give it back to you and not keep it if you want that to be the case. And so I think that as long as we have vendors doing that and companies who are trying to help us make things easier by automating these things, as long as you know we haven't given it all over to Skynet, then I suppose that, that that's a reasonable trade-off, at least for the near future. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. As we record this episode, we're on the eve of the big Legal Tech New York conference and show that happens every January. Unfortunately, this year neither of us could attend, but I'm, I'm really feeling the need to get back to that show in the near future. Fortunately for us, and you as well, coverage of the show in social media is good, so you can read about what's happening there. We've always recommended that listeners try to attend at least one of the big legal tech shows, Legal Tech New York, ABA Tech Show, or the ILTA Show, or to me, the sort of three big ones, at least every couple of years. I was intrigued by a post that Joanna Forche and, and Jobst Elster put up on the Inside Legal blog with a word cloud made from the program schedule for Legal Tech New York 2014, comparing it to the word clouds for the last three years before that. It shows that Legal Tech New York is still very much an e-discovery conference, but I noticed that the, the term information governance really stood out in 2014. Tom, what are you thinking these days about Legal Tech New York and Legal Tech conferences in general? 
You know, I was struck by that word cloud. I was struck by how many words related to e-discovery. And I, I guess, you know, sitting back and thinking more, I really shouldn't be that surprised because if there's any conference, national conference for lawyers that talks about e-discovery on a wide basis, then it's going to be legal tech. Information governance, I'm not surprised that it's also big because the e-discovery vendors and others have finally realized, I think later than a lot of us have, that e-discovery can't be successful until a company has its information governance in order. And so they're now all becoming experts in information governance, which I find very interesting. What I also found interesting was both the presence of certain words and the absence of certain words in that word cloud that we saw. One of them was sponsored. Sponsored is one of the largest words in the cloud. And uh, I think that's just reinforcement of the fact that, that of the major national conferences, legal tech continues to be more about vendors. It tends to be more about sponsors. You've got a fantastic fantastic selection of vendors that you can go talk to, but it does have that very sponsor-specific focus that I think is different from the other conferences. I think the words themselves that I saw there on that word cloud really point out how much a big firm conference legal tech is. I didn't see words that are important to lawyers who actually handle their own technology, things like mobile or document management or practice management or paperless. None of those words are anywhere on the map. And I don't know if that's because they've, I didn't look at the schedule. I haven't looked at the schedule yet, but I'm assuming that if uh, those words were around, then uh, we would have seen them somewhere. And that's why I think that it's good that there are tech conferences for lawyers of every type. I tend to prefer ABA Tech Show, not only because of, of my involvement, our involvement, me and Dennis, but because I think it's a much more practical show. I think it helps lawyers deal with the technology they work with every day, rather than be theoretical or provide you know risk management type uh, approach to technology. I think ILTA is a fantastic show for law firm IT, for litigation support. I think that it's really only a conference for the most tech-savvy lawyer. I think a lawyer trying to learn about technology might have some issues with that. You know, but that said, what's really important, I think, for lawyers is that they go to some type of technology conference every year, whether it's a big national conference, whether it's your local solo and small firm conference, if you're that kind of lawyer, even if it's just a local bar-sponsored event on technology. I think keeping up with the latest trends in technology, learning how to maintain your practical skills, and learning about what's on the horizon is a big part of keeping those resolutions that we talked about in the last episode. Dennis, I babbled on for a while. Uh, What's your take on legal tech and conferences in general? Legal Tech New York is such a fun show, and it is the vendor focus makes it great. Just huge amounts of exhibits, new products being announced. There's a sense of excitement and energy. It is big firm focused, and you kind of take that into account, but it sort of gives you an idea of of what the vendors think is coming up this year and, and what they're highlighting. And so I think it's great for that. That's why I say I I like to go there every now and then to kind of see what's going on. But I agree with you that you can listen to podcasts, you can read a bunch of articles, but there's nothing really like going to a show, seeing the things in one place, taking advantage of the different programming, talking to vendors, talking to other lawyers who are doing technology. It's a great opportunity. And, uh, you know, so the three big ones are great. If you're in the, the smaller firm setting, a lot of state bars are doing solo and small firm conferences with the technology programming. That's another good alternative for people. But it's good to think of that at the beginning of of the year. And I I think Legal Tech New York gets us off to a good start on that. And so, like I said, it's something I follow on social media, kind of see 
what the hot new topics are. And um, I just think it's a good resolution for people who are still this late date making up their uh, New Year's resolutions for tech to think about one of these conferences. Now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. Well, I mentioned on a previous podcast that I would be learning the Mac, and I do indeed have my new Mac computer. I love it a lot, but I'm still using some Windows programs, so I have had to install. I'm not only learning a new operating system Mac, but I'm learning a new operating system Windows 8. And despite how much many people are afraid of it and dislike it, I am taking it upon myself to learn more about it. And I was going out to try to find some resources on Windows 8, and uh, Paul Therott, who does the great Windows Windows Weekly podcast on the Twit Network. On his website, he's actually putting together a book on Windows 8, although he's calling it Windows 8.1, and he's releasing copies of the book as he adds new content. So he'll add a new chapter or a couple of chapters, and he'll put a new version of the book out on the website. And so you will be getting a constantly updated version of this particular book, and right now it's up to 400 and some pages. So it's a quite substantial book lots of screenshots, lots of great explanation on how to do Windows 8. It's at the website. All you have to do is go to windows81book.com. So windows number eight, number one book.com. What's great about it is, is that he's only charging two bucks for the book. You just make a quick donation on the Amazon website and you can download a 400 page book for two bucks. And I think that to learn a little bit about Windows 8, two bucks is definitely worth it. Dennis. You know, that's interesting. It makes me think of a question we get fairly often of like, if technology is so great and so easy, how come I need a book to learn it? Maybe some (laughs) topic we can revisit at another point. But that reminds me of a new technology book I'm excited about, which is called LinkedIn in One Hour, which is the sort of non-lawyers, general public version that the ABA is experimenting with of the book Allison Shields and I wrote about LinkedIn which is basically out of, I certainly will be out and launched by the time people are listening to this podcast. So keep an eye out for that LinkedIn in one hour. There's also the LinkedIn in one hour for lawyers version. And then the beginning of the year is not complete without the annual write of the surveys that show what the worst passwords of the year are. And so, uh, The big news this year, and it was really big news, was that the worst password of the year, the number one most used password, is no longer password. It's been uh, dethroned for another really bad password, one, two, three, four, five, six. And it's great to look at these articles. Uh, This is one I noticed is in PC World, 25 worst passwords of 2013. If you're using any of those, you're just plain crazy. But it's interesting to see how people still use bad passwords. I love the number 14 on the list, which is just let me in. That is always on the list of bad passwords and let me in just makes me, I, I love it. And also the word monkey. I'm surprised that so many Many people use the word monkey as a password. So anyway, yes, it's a great list. It's always amusing, but it's also a lesson to please stay away from these passwords. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, is available on our show notes blog at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site. You can get to the archives of all our previous podcasts in both places as well. If you have a technology conundrum that's been bothering you, a question you want answered, or a topic for an upcoming podcast, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet at tkmreport. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. 
And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by rating this podcast or writing a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.